Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 7. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Dose of Leadership Podcast. I am Richard Ryerson. Thanks so much for your support. This podcast is growing by leaps and bounds because of your support and you passing on the word to all your friends on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, putting those reviews out there on iTunes. So thanks a lot for all your support. Looking for all your comments out there on the website as well at doseofleadership.com. You know, I'm a firm believer that we're not meant to be passive, that we don't need to just watch from a distance all these people that we admire. We need to interact with them. We need to work with them. We need to reach out to them. That's why I created this podcast. I'm committed to bringing you the highest quality leadership mentors from all aspects of life. If there's someone you want to want me to interview, drop me a line at doseofleadership.com or, or send, send me a comment on Facebook or Twitter. Either way, just let me know. Anyway, enjoy the interview and thanks for your support. Well, you're in for a real treat today. I'm really thrilled to have as my guest, Jim Kuzes. He's the uh, a best-selling author and award-winning speaker, and according to the Wall Street Journal, he's one of the 12 best executive educators in the United States. Jim's been uh, thinking about leadership for a long time, ever since he was a little kid, and he was only a one of a dozen Eagle Scouts to be selected to serve in John F. Kennedy's Honor Guard when Kennedy was inaugurated President of the United States. Jim has devoted his life to leadership development ever since then. He's currently the Dean's Executive Fellow of Leadership at the Levy School of Business at Santa Clara University. He's a highly regarded leadership scholar and an experienced executive. Jim, it is such a thrill and honor to have you on the show. How are you today? Richard, I am feeling terrific. Thank you very much for that gracious introduction. So talk to me about uh, that that experience with John F. Kennedy's Honor Guard and being an Eagle Scout. Is that, that really was your birth of when you started getting passionate about leadership? Well, it's one of those turning points, one of those memorable times in one's life, uh, very special and unique. Very few other people had that opportunity. And so it's seared in my memory uh, as one, as the time I think uh, the Kennedy administration and John F. Kennedy and his words at that inaugural that truly inspired me to, not only because uh, at the time I was an Eagle Scout and uh, learning to be of service, but also because he was asking us to dedicate ourselves, commit ourselves to doing something not just for ourselves, but for the greater good for the country. And that inspired me to join the Peace Corps, as you mentioned, uh, to, to become part of the war on poverty and other efforts. So it was, it was truly an inspirational time for me. And did you join the Peace Corps shortly after that? Or once yeah, you- I joined the Peace Corps after I graduated from university. So that's amazing. You know, um, I forgot to mention the intro, but you're also a, a highly acclaimed author. You've written The Leadership Challenge along with your business partner, Barry is it Posner or Posner? I've never... Oh, it's Barry Posner. Posner, okay. The Leadership Challenge, which in its fifth edition, I believe. Credi- yes. Credibility, which in its second edition. A Leader's Legacy, Encouraging the Heart. And my personal favorite, and I, I told you this before we started recording, that is my absolute favorite book on leadership. 
and it's the truth about leadership. Can we talk a little bit about uh, the truth about leadership? Absolutely. Love to talk about it. It's one of our favorites, too. You know, you've got 10, you know, some great truths in there. But the first one is that you do make a difference. Can you talk about that? I think that's very important. Absolutely. And, and that's why we start with it as number one. I tell it, we tell a story in the leadership challenge uh, as, as well as in this truth about leadership, uh, something that that stimulated all of these truths. And I think it's an important frame for us to think as we talk about this truth and others. When I was part of a panel of people like myself addressing a group at what's known as the Instructional Systems Association, an organization of people who do what you and I do. And on the panel was Ken Blanchard among some other colleagues uh, of ours. And I started to answer a question from the audience. And I was saying something like, I don't know what you call something that's been the same for the last 25 years, but... And before I could finish my own sentence, Ken interrupted and he said, I call it the truth. <laughs> and I've, th that particular moment just made me realize that there are, in fact, some things that have been true for at least the 30 years that we've been doing our research and probably many years before that. Right. And we would predict will be true in the future. And one of those is that you make a difference, that you matter. You know, every, everything you or I, Richard, will ever do as a leader is based on one very audacious assumption. And that audacious assumption is that you and I actually make a difference, that we can have an impact on other human beings, that we can change the way things are. And that is fundamental to anyone ever becoming a leader. You have to believe that you can have a positive impact and potentially a negative impact if you don't behave in certain ways right. on other people. And it's really fundamental. I remember getting an email from a woman named, we'll call her DR because she asked that we not use her name. And she wrote us an, an email and in that email she said, that she was working on her master's degree. She already had two bachelor's degrees. She was working for the state of West Virginia. And she was in this class with people who were former military officers like yourself, who were people who had been executives in corporations or were currently executives in corporations, who were people that she felt had more leadership potential than she did but then she said, as I was, I was reading this as, as a grandmother, mother, grandmother, and coal miner's daughter, I realized that maybe I or someone else like me had the potential for being a leader. And I, I think that comment from DR is fundamental to all of us becoming better leaders than we are. The realization that... that even if we see ourselves as only mother, grandmother, coal miner's daughter, or someone who maybe not as qualified as someone else to be a leader, that we too have the potential for becoming better than we are today at leading other people. And so that is why we start with the truth about in the truth about leadership with that 
that particular statement that the truth is you make a difference. The truth is you matter. Yeah, you're hitting on something very fundamental to what I believe too. And and when I would give these presentations to these property managers when I worked for the hotel company and I would always open up and I'd say, who in this room, and there'd be 20, 30 in a room, who considers themselves a leader? And it was always about 10, 12%. Maybe someone were embarrassed to raise their hand. Maybe they did, but it was, I'm always astonished at how many people don't consider themselves leaders. Well, then when you, you, you investigate that a little bit further, they equate leadership with the larger than life, the charismatic, the, you know, the single individual, almost even the narcissistic individual. And, and to me, that's not leadership. No, it's not. In fact, one of the pieces of research we cite in the truth about leadership, something we began many years ago, and we asked people to uh, tell us who their leader role models were. But we didn't give them names. We give them, gave them categories. And we said, think, think, first think of a real person, somebody you've actually experienced, somebody you've experienced as a leader. It doesn't have to be a famous person unless you've worked with that person or known that person personally. But someone you would consider a leader, a role model for you uh, for leadership. Then we gave them categories, business leader, community leader, entertainer, family member, political leader, professional athlete teacher or coach, and we ask them to indicate from which one category does your most admired leader come? The leader you you would say personally, from, from your personal perspective and experience, has been the one person you turn to as a model for leadership for you. Well, the data from that suggests that DR is absolutely right. If you look at our data, both for those who are working professionals as well as young people, the number one category for leader role model is family member. Right. Family member. Mother, father, brother, sister, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle. It doesn't matter then whether you're a famous person or not, you do have that. One of the things I ask people rhetorically is how many of you in this audience are family members. Yep. Well, obviously everybody will raise their hand because we're all family members. We all have family. And I say, therefore, you have the potential for being a role model for someone. Right. And then that begs the question, if that's true, don't you have the responsibility for becoming the best you can become? Yeah, that's funny. That's exactly what I, my follow-up questions after I ask them, who in here considers themselves a leader? Then I ask, well, who in here is a parent or who's an uncle, who's an aunt? And everybody raises their hand, of course, and I said, well, we're all obligated then at that point to understand what it means to be a leader because we do have an an impact on somebody's life. Absolutely. So that is one of the truths. And another thing that is true from the – and we want to make really clear to those who are listening to this, these truths are all supported by data. So for those who are more analytical and want data – Here's another piece of information. Not only do people look to more than just those famous people. In fact, business leaders among young people only get 7% of the vote as someone that they look up to as a leader role model. Uh, Teacher and coach is the second category for young people. So teachers and coaches are looked to as role models. And it's the same question as you ask about parents. 
don't you have a responsibility to be the best you can be? You may not you may not see yourself as a leader, but other people do. And you need to also think about not only the role you play as teacher or coach, but the role you play as leader. And inside organizations, the single most important leader in any organization, I don't care whether it's Apple Computer when Steve Jobs was there, or whether it's you know you're the organization any of us currently work in, the most influential leader in that organization is one's immediate manager. Yeah, that is so true. It's not, the person who has the most impact is not the CEO, the, the chief operating officer, or any other C-level you know, title. It really is that middle, or you know, like you said, the immediate supervisor that you're dealing with. And uh, just to give, underscore what you just said, Immediate managers have more influence on people's desire to stay or leave, yep. well, the trajectory of people's careers, their ethical behavior, the ability to effectively form their job, and, and a motivation to share the values and vision of the organization than any other single leader in the organization, including the chief executive officer. So true. So true. I mean, and I know I have handful of examples I've seen personally where that's that's been the case you know even the case where I remember it was an eight dollar spot welder at a company that I worked at and he had the solution an eight dollar spot welder and you know the 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 c-level office for the longest time failed to recognize that's where the answer was you know the answer is you know I I think especially as we're in in leadership positions and we get an office and we get a title we tend to think hey I've got to be the person with all the big answers and all the big ideas. Well, maybe part of that's true, but most of your answers and most of your solutions are out there on the floor and outside those doors. Wouldn't you agree? Well, the the best leaders know know that, absolutely. They are the ones who know that they don't have all the answers, and they're willing to admit that. Yep. When When we are – when we admit that to ourselves and to others – then we know we have to look elsewhere for solutions. Um, so we have to develop, support those individuals who are in positions to provide us with those answers. And a research on customer service uh, clearly shows that innovation does not come primarily internally. It comes externally. It comes from the customer, vendors, uh, other people who use our services, they tend to be the ones who inspire innovation. So it's about outside, not just insight. You know, when I first got into the Marine Corps, and I think everybody was attracted to what they thought was the ideal leader and this kind of command presence, charismatic, larger-than-life figure. But as as it went in and and I've seen this in the corporate world too, but the leaders that really struck me the most were the ones that were almost like, you know, um, Jim Collins, Good to Great, in that chapter level five leader talks about this quite a bit. And it really isn't the larger than life charismatic. It's the one who really, you know, you can lead from a couple places, your head or your heart or your gut. And the ones that have really made the most impact on me are those leaders that led from their heart. And that's one of your truths too. The leadership is an affair of the heart. Would you agree with that? Uh, uh, yes. The short answer is yes. Yeah. I would agree with this. You know, one, of, one of the people that uh, I had the opportunity to work with, for, also a former Marine, 
was a guy by the name of Pete Thigpen. <laughs> Pete and uh, moved on from in that role to uh, a, the I think eventually became uh, president of U.S. operations for Levi Strauss and Company. Mm. He's now a very close friend, teaches at the University of California, Berkeley, and we get together for coffee every now and then. And he made this comment in a program we were doing together at Levi Strauss and Company, and, and Pete said, you have to really believe in your heart of hearts that your fundamental purpose, the reason for being, is to enlarge the lives of others. Yep. When you do that, your life will be enlarged also. And, and we've collected hundreds and hundreds, now thousands and thousands of personal best leadership cases. And whether we're talking to a young leader in, like Jade Liu in Hong Kong, who says that the most important learning from her personal best experience with her leader was that he showed her that he cared. Uh, or, or whether it's uh, Jane Binger at uh, Stanford University Hospital in Stanford, California, who, who said about those who uh, she was writing about in her personal best, they want to know that I value them, that I think they're doing a great job, and that I'm not taking their contribution for granted. Every leader who excels scores high on what we call encouraging the heart. And those who are the highest performing leaders, and this is counterintuitive, this yep. is not what you read about in the literature, about in famous biographies or autobiographies about leaders, but the highest performing leaders are more open and caring, express more affection, demonstrate more passion, are more positive, grateful and encouraging than lower performing leaders. Yeah. And that is counterintuitive to a lot what, you know, the image of uh, the strong and dominate, domineering leader. It's absolutely the opposite, but it's what is true about leadership is that it is an affair of the heart. Yep. The first core truth about positive emotions, uh, Barbara Fredrickson, a scholar, tells us is that um, – Positive emotions open our hearts and our minds, making us more, more receptive and more creative. So if we want people who are more creative, more receptive, more innovative, and higher performing, we need to be more open and caring ourselves. Yeah, the real leaders don't place themselves in the middle. They put other people there. They, they, they don't seek attention. They give it to other people. And it's, I guess, you know, servant leadership is another way that people often coin this. Do they not? Servant leadership is one approach. One of, I remember when my, my wife and I uh, were in Truckee, California. And we had uh, arrived in Truckee and we were there. It was in springtime. And we had stopped at the local, uh, the, the, in, in the town of Truckee to grab a bite to eat. And we went over to... Jackass Ridge, <laughs> name of a store. And when, as we were entering the front door of the store, there was a wooden sign carved 
a wooden sign uh, nailed to the side of the exterior wall. And it said, dedicated to the memory of Joseph Ignatius Furpo. What we do for ourselves dies with us. What we do for others lives on and is immortal. <laughs> Leaders who are the ones that live on in our memories as the most personally influential to us are people like Joseph Ignatius Furpo, who mm-hmm. put other people first. You know, you come from the Marine Corps, you come from the military, and I can tell you that more military officers have said to me and Barry in interviews that we've done with them, have used the term love, I love my troops, I love my people. Leadership is about love than people in business. Yep, I agree People think of the military as about you got to be tough, you got to have courage. They don't think about the people in the military loving others. But in fact, you can't be successful in a life and death situation if you don't love the people you're with. No, that's so true. And again, I think from the beginning, in the early phases, everybody kind of thought, oh, let's gravitate to the John Wayne types. But in the reality, as you go through it and you saw the ones that really stuck out were really the ones that were more emotional than others that did carry their emotions on a sleeve and were genuine and authentic and showed love and compassion for others. You know, I've got a good friend. He's a, a, a World War II vet, an Iwo Jima Marine, and he lied about joining the Marine Corps, and he got in when he was 16. A fascinating story. I mean, I could tell you, talk to you for an hour about this. I mean, there should be a book written about this, this man and what he did. But long story short, he was on three, camp, three campaigns, and the last one was on Iwo Jima, and he got shot on the 17th day. And as I went and visited him last year up in the hospital, and we were talking again, and he's told me this story six, seven times. I know all about it. I'm always amazed and get chills when I listen to his story. And he was sitting there with his wife, and I said, how do all those experiences, these are the, you know, the raw blood and gut stories that just, you know, it's amazing. And he's 16, 17, 18 when he experiences all this. And I said, how did that, all that, those experiences, you know, being around all that leadership define you? And, he's, and he paused, and he said, you know, it didn't really define me. It refined me. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, it taught me and all that craziness and seeing all that, being around all that type of leadership and that supposedly macho stuff. He said, it taught me how to love another human being. And that was the last thing I thought I'd hear him say. Mm -hmm. And his wife was just sitting there and it did. He said, it taught him how to truly love another human being. And I just thought that was so beautiful. And it's so true. I've, I've, some of the best leaders I have that I experienced in the military, they were those that, you know, talk about their people and tears in their eyes, and, mm-hmm. and they weren't ashamed of it. Yeah. I'll tell you another story about another military guy that uh, was one of the first people we had the opportunity to interview and who also shared a, a similar sentiment. His name was John Stanford. He was a major general in the U.S. Army. He was head of military traffic management command here in the Um, out of Alameda here in Northern California at the time in the Western Division, but he moved on to be head of Military Traffic Management Command for the entire country. So these are the people who make sure that, you know, everything that needs, all the supplies that need to be right there on the front lines are there. And uh, he, I asked him this question. I said, John, what, what advice would you give to leaders who are trying to become better at, at what they do, whether it's in the U.S. Army or at Santa Clara University or, or whether it's at Google or Apple or 
any of the companies that that uh, we might be talking to and he said whenever anyone asks me that question how do you develop leaders for the future I tell them I have the secret to success in life the secret to success is stay in love <laughs> stay in love gives you the fire to really ignite other people to see inside other people to have a greater desire to get things done than other people a person who is not in love doesn't really feel the kind of excitement that helps them to get ahead and lead others and to achieve. I don't know any other fire, any other thing in life that is more positive and exhilarating a feeling than love is. Now, I did not expect to hear that from a major general in the U.S. Army. But, you know, when you think uh, deeply about this subject of leadership, you realize that leadership indeed is not an affair of the head. It's an affair of the heart. Absolutely. And I always challenge people to see where, when, when you look at a leader, where are they leading from? Is it their head? Is it their heart? Is it their gut? And follow those ones with the heart. I mean, I'm a firm believer of that. Yeah. Kind of ties into that. You know, we're talking about the larger than life, macho stuff, the whole concept of courage. You talk about it a lot in, um, is it A Leader's Legacy? Yeah, that's the book, Leader's mm -hmm. Legacy. Another good one. I, I haven't read all of it, but there's a, a chapter on courage there that I love. Can you start talking about how you view, view courage and why it's important to leadership? Well, going, going back to love, the, the, the uh, root, word, root word of courage is heart. The French word cœur or heart. Mm -hmm. And so when, when we're talking about courage, we are in, in fact talking about heart. So when you think stereotypically about heart, uh, in a leader, you often think of Richard the Lionhearted, the, the person who has uh, that, that big heart that, uh, that gives that person passion and uh, conviction. And the Reverend, uh, Reverend uh, Professor Peter J. Gomes, who is, who is head of Harvard Church, wrote uh, in his introduction to Paul Tillich's classic book, The Courage to Be, uh, that, and I'm going uh, to not get this quote exactly right, but uh, he said something to the effect that we would like to make a life and not just a living, which, as we all know from our own experiences and that of others, takes courage. I'm going to repeat that. We would like to make a life and not just a living. Mm -hmm. In order to make a life, you have to have courage. Yep. You can make a living with no courage at all. In fact, you can be a coward and make a, a good living. But you can't make a life without courage. When we want a life that matters or a life that makes a difference like we were talking about before, that you have to believe that you matter and that you can make a difference, a life that can have an impact on friends and family or even the possibility of having an impact on organizations or communities or even the larger world, we need courage. And it, it contrary, again, to a lot of the myths that are out there, Richard, courage is something that's in all of us. It's, it's yep. a big word. And our images of courage make, a, in, in some respects, inhibit, inhibit us from knowing so true. I what was, it is, that uh, the courage in ourselves. You know, I was going to say that I, I know for me, 
and I talk about this sometimes, is that cur- the concept of courage, like you're saying, I think what you're saying here, often draws or projects images of these larger-than-life, uncommon examples of tremendous valor or mm-hmm. these these life-and-death types of scenarios that we all can understand that, especially in aviation. I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by these, you know, Sullenberger landing with no engines on the Hudson, right? Tremendous right. act of courage and or I think of Medal Honor recipients. But in reality, courage is is and you write about this, it's it's really just a choice. It's yeah. you're gonna be afraid. I think a lot of people think, well, I couldn't do that because I don't I would be too afraid. Well, that's the whole idea of courage. You're yeah. gonna be afraid. It's just choosing to do something regardless of, exactly. of being afraid. Exactly. You know, the we tell the story in that chapter in the uh, a leader's legacy about Rosa Parks. Now, Rosa Parks is memorable to me because I, I was ten years old at the time uh, this happened. Uh, this was in 1955, so you can calculate my age. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, and I remember that my parents were very involved in the civil rights movement living in Washington, D.C. My mother marched with Martin Luther King in Washington, D.C. That gives you an idea of of how committed she was to civil rights at the time. So we were watching the news all the time and hearing all the stories. And there's this woman named Rosa Parks that became very famous. But at the time, she was simply uh, a seamstress and, and no one famous, but she was involved in the civil rights movement. And she got on a bus one day in Montgomery, Alabama, on December 1st, in fact, 1955. And she sat down in a seat. And when the bus driver came down the aisle and asked her to move from that seat to the back of the bus, she said three words. No, I am not. No, I am not. Four words, excuse me. No, I am not. And when I talk talk to people about this incident, I tell people, now I want you to think deeply about what was involved here. First of all, let me ask you, are you capable of of saying these four words, no, I am not. Sure. And everybody says, well, I can say all those four words, probably say it several times a day. No, I am not. So we all have the ability. It's not an issue of ability. And then then what happened next was the following. This guy, the bus driver said to her, if you do not move, I will have to have you arrested. And she said, go ahead. So I ask people, do you have the ability to say the words, go ahead? They say, yes, of course. So you can say, no, I am not, and go ahead. That is all it took in in terms of the expression for her to have courage. Yep. She said, she sat down in a section of the bus. She was asked to move. She said, no, I am not. When told she was going to be arrested, she said, go ahead. She could sit down. She could stay seated. All of those physical acts, every one of us is perfectly capable of doing. So what makes that courageous? 
and from from our perspective or anyone's perspective, because people look to her at that time as somebody who is going to have courage, and that then who had courage to do just that. So that helps us to understand better that just that incident, analyzing it in a micro way, what courage actually is. First of all, we know that she was deeply committed to a set of values and beliefs. She was deeply committed to something. And prior to that event, she may have actually moved many times from the section which, where she could not sit to, or was not supposed to sit if whites got on board, to a section where only blacks could be. Right. She probably many times did that before, and many people did. But on that particular day, she chose not to because she was confronted with some critical incident where she had to make a choice. Am I going to stand up for what I believe in, or in this case, sit down for what I believe in? Or am I going to not? If she had chosen not to, we would not have called it courageous, but she chose to on that particular day. It also points out something else. We're not always courageous every day of our lives, nor do we have to be. Right. But there are moments when we feel that this is the moment when I must take a stand or, in her case, take a seat. Yeah. Uh, and so courageous acts flow from our beliefs, deeply held beliefs, about something. And it also taps into our own, we, ha we have to ask ourselves a particular question. Am I at this moment deeply committed to those enough that I am willing to suffer the consequences yeah. of my actions? So I consider cowardice people, individuals who will want other people to suffer but they don't want to suffer themselves. Right. Well, that's a very powerful example. You know, everybody knows the Rosa Parks story, but I've never looked at it in that context. And it's something, when you look at the, just the practical application of what, I ha what she had to do, say those words and just do it. Yeah, we can all do that. Oh, that's just great. I, just, I love that. That's just a great example. It's not the everyday, it's not the life and death scenarios. Courage is in, is in all of us. And we cannot discount the everyday acts of courage that we are faced with in our lives. You need the courage to hold your family together. You need to courage not to lose heart when you when you stumble and fall. I don't know. That, that's a great example. Thank uh, you for sharing that. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, I think, a, a, a great little example of how simple an action it is, but what we, what comes before it, which is that deep commitment to a core set of values and some challenge, some incident, critical incident we face where we feel, feel we have to take the initiative at that moment. And we also, there are times in our lives when we aren't ready. Yeah. Uh, and we, we, we back away, but there are times when we take a stand. Um, Who are your... You must have a long list, but who are your leadership heroes? Well, one of the things that's important, because we we talked earlier about DR and everyday leaders, is my heroes are actually the people that we've interviewed right. for our various books. 
and most of those aren't known to the to unless you happen to have worked with that individual aren't known to the general public there are people um well like my father is at the top of my sure. list just like we talked about earlier that our most admired leader role models personally tend to be those people who are closest to us and my father is one I mean, he started out son of a of a immigrant who worked as a barrel maker had 10 kids he was the oldest of 10 uh, my father was the oldest of 10 and uh, his father had 10 kids so uh, he he obviously had a lot of responsibility when he was young uh, it was during you know he was raised during the time of the Great Depression and then World War II and so he was a participant in all those events and so we all uh, they call it the great generation but it, it, he was part of that group that had to suffer a lot yeah but then after World War II he came back uh, he started out as a file clerk and working for the Department of the Army and worked his way up to Deputy Assistant Secretary of Labor he went to school at night, because he had to work full time during the day, he got his bachelor's, master's, and doctor all but his all but his dissertation for his doctorate at night. Wow. After work, and he continued on with the Army Reserves as a reservist, and uh, so he was able to retire uh, at, at, as a, a full colonel in the uh, U.S. Army, and so he did all those things. And yet he was still very dedicated to his family and was uh, always around to be there with for, for me and my brother. So I look up to my dad as one of my most admired leader role models. And as well as the pe people we write about, the Pete Thigpens I told you about, yeah. or the John Stanfords, or the Cora Carmody's, or the Jay Lewis, people whose names uh, most uh, listeners wouldn't recognize you know, and I've also because of when I grew up and the people that were taking initiative were being courageous at the time. You know, people like Rosa Parks, um, Martin Luther King, uh, Gandhi was certainly someone that would go on my list. Those are the famous people, uh, Mother Teresa, people like that. And there are a few currently that some might know, like Doug Conan, former CEO of Campbell's Soup, or mm -hmm. Gary Kramer of uh, Baxter Healthcare. So those are some that I put on my list. Well, thanks for sharing that with me. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Um, we need to wrap up here at the end for the, the sake of time. But where can people find you? Well, I'm at uh, leadershipchallenge.com is our website where people can learn about all of our products and services. And there's a lot there for people to explore, a lot that's free, and people can look around, sign up for our free newsletter on a monthly basis. Uh, of course, all of our works are available on Amazon.com. You can just put in K-O-U-Z-E-S, and my name will come up along with my uh, good friend and colleague and co-author, Barry Posner. And happy to have anyone you know, contact us. Uh, and uh, if you want to send me a personal email, it's jim at kuzis.com. All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much. It's been a true privilege and honor. Thank you for uh, sharing and opening up with us, and I'd like to have you on again. There's so much more I want to talk to you about. Would you be willing to do that again in the future? Perfect. Sometime? Let's let's schedule some time out in, uh, in the near future. Okay, Jim. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Richard. Take care. Have a good day. 
Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. 